0: The greatest miracle of all is the conversion of any human being. We forget the words of Christ. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? And so we repeat, the greatest miracle of all is the glorious work of salvation. Jesus said that he came for one reason, To seek and to save what was lost. Have you ever wondered what makes the choirs in heaven spontaneously break into song? Jesus tells us there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. This month we focus on evangelism and conversion. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, Why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. For this man, his blindness led to his salvation. He would say, thank God I was born blind.
1: That's quite a statement, isn't it? Thank God I was born blind. Folks, uh, we uh, are going to be going through the book, well, chapter of the book of John, John chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, please take them and turn there. And so for four weeks, we're going to be studying the conversion of the man who was born blind. And uh, I just want to say thank you, everybody, for being out on New Year's Day. What a great way to start the year. Would you say amen to that? It's a great way to start the year. your eyes on jesus and uh and hearing the word of god preached um i want to begin by asking you uh, just a few questions and 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 here it is you don't have to yell at the answer in fact i prefer it if you didn't but i want you to think about it and the question the first question is this what is a convert what does it mean to be converted what does it mean to be a Christian? And how do you know that you're a Christian? Those are very, very important questions, big questions. And there's a lot of people who never think about that. In fact, they may go to church their whole life and uh, and think, well, I've been going to church my whole life, so therefore I must be a, a Christian. We used to say when I was a youth pastor, just because you living in the garage, that doesn't make you a car. You've heard that before. Like, you've heard it many times, right? You don't want to hear it again, right? And so, we need to think about that. What does it mean to be converted? What does it mean to be transformed? What does it mean to be a Christian? And I remember one person said to me that they were actually offended that uh, I was asking that question because it sounds like I'm judging you. And here's what I am doing this morning, is I am in a sense judging, but not in a negative way, but in a way to help us to understand and to know the truth. How many know that knowing the truth is a good idea? How many know it's better to know the truth than to live under false assumptions, or maybe to put up a bit more bluntly, under lies? So the question is this this morning, what a great way to start the new year to examine our hearts to see if, in fact, we are in the faith or not. If, in fact, you are truly converted, truly born again, do you really belong to Jesus? Have you really put your faith in Christ? And so this this accounting of the transformation of the conversion of this blind man is going to help us to think this through. And so each week, well, one of our pastors is going to be sharing a little of their own personal story as it relates to the passage of Scripture. And so next week, you'll have Pastor Joel speak, and then Pastor Andrew, for the first time, is going to be sharing with us. We're looking forward to that. And then Pastor Chris is going to, uh, he's going to tie it all up, and so we're excited about that. But we want you to think, what does it mean to be born again? And I would like you to have conversations in your home, around your dinner table, about what It means to be truly converted. Now, here's the thing. A convert, in case you don't know it, is someone who's been transformed or changed. They're not the same anymore. You're literally, as Paul would say, you're literally a new creation. So if you've grown up in church, you're what we would call maybe a cultural Christian. Have you heard of that? It's the world you're used to. You, everybody, all my friends go to church. All my family goes to church. Therefore, I go to church. That does not necessarily mean that you are converted. And so, folks, we need to see what this word means. We're looking at Acts chapter 15, verse 3. And here's what it says here. The church sent the delegates to Jerusalem... And they stopped along the way in Phoenicia and Samaria to visit the believers. They told them, much to everyone's joy, that the Gentiles too were being converted. Now, this word converted or conversion is the word epistrephosine, comes from the word epistrepho. That simply means be converted, to be turned, to be brought back, to repent. It's, it's a combination of two words, epi, which means over, and strefo, which means turned. Now, you may have heard somebody ask you a question. Uh, are, you, are you on the throne of your own heart, or is Jesus? Does Jesus sit on the throne of your heart? How many have heard that before? When we were in Bible school, we studied uh, the uh, four spiritual laws, and we used the four spiritual laws to lead people to Christ. That was our personal evangelism course. And the question is, you ask the person, do you sit on the throne of your own heart or does God sit on that throne? Well, in essence, what we're saying here today when you're converted is that self-rule has been overturned and now Jesus Christ has taken over. Does that make sense? That's what, that's what conversion is, epistrefo. It means that now... now the government of your heart's been overturned. It's like a Honta, like where, where the old government is kicked out and there's brand new rulership. Now, Paul and Barnabas, they're in Antioch, which is uh, in fact Gentile territory. And while they're there, there are some Judean preachers who have come to preach the gospel. But the problem is, is it's not the true gospel. He said, well, what other kind of gospel could there possibly be? Well, they were, what they were doing is they were saying, well, if you're gonna be converted, then you have to be circumcised like all Jewish people. And Paul says, well, hold on a minute here. That's not how this works. If, you, if you're converted, it means that your heart has been circumcised. Does that make sense? It means you've been changed on the inside. And so this is what we all need to understand today is that we need to be changed on the inside. We need to be transformed within. Does that make sense? Because a lot of people think, if I go to church and I go through all the rituals, and if you're, if you're a really serious Greek Orthodox, then it's not just like this. It's right to the ground. We're not, we're, we're not playing around here and then you kiss a few icons, and then you smell the incense. You go through the whole ritual. It can can very easily become an external religion. Does this make sense? So we're talking about the overthrow of self-rule. That's what we're talking about. The minute that Adam and Eve sinned against God, the minute that Adam and Eve believed the serpent, what did they do? They said, I'm taking charge. I'm now going to be the king of my life. I'm taking control. God, you're not telling us what to do anymore. Remember, God said that you got one rule, and that is, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the day that you eat that fruit, you will surely, you're going to die. One rule. That was it. And they said, you know what? We're not going to let Jesus. We're not going to let God tell us what to do. We're we're going to tell ourselves what to do, folks. I'm going to tell you right now that is the root of every single problem everybody in this room has today. That's, that's what sin is. It's like, I'm gonna rule here. So here's what's happening now. Amazingly, very amazingly, these, these, these uh, Gentiles have been converted. They have been transformed. They're new people. They're not the people that they used to be. Now, a real Christian is someone who has been converted. Somebody who's been changed. They've, they're turned Their lives are different. So let me ask you a question today. What is a convert? It's somebody who's been changed. Now let me ask you specifically about yourself. Would you say that you are truly born again, that you're truly changed, that you're a brand new person? Would you say that about yourself? You don't have to answer the question out loud. Just think about that. We need to understand what it means to be born again. It means that supernaturally, something supernatural has happened, that God, by his spirit, has made us into a brand new person. I can tell you that I knew the day, the moment I was converted, I knew that I was a new man, actually a new boy, because I was only 10 years old when I knew what happened, when I understood what was going on. I was changed. I was not the same anymore. I was transfigured. Whatever word you want to use. But the point is this, I've been changed. So for the month of January, we're going to look into, into the conversion of this man born blind. We're going to look at the fact that he was, he was healed physically. But I want you to see this. He was also healed spiritually. Does everybody understand that? When, when you were born again, you were healed Spiritually. Does that make sense? Before you're born again, the relationship with God is broken. It's, it's, it's sick. You're sick. The Bible declares that we've been created in the image of God. And because we've been created in the image of God, it means that we have been created for relationship with God. And until we are reconciled to our Creator until the creation has been reconciled to the creator, we are broken. We are sick. And we need to be healed. So what we're going to see happen over the next few weeks is we're going to see, first of all, how this man is healed physically. But more importantly, we're going to see how he is healed spiritually. It's a thrilling study that we're going to do. Now, In Romans 5, verse 10, it says this, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, remember, our relationship was broken, but now through Christ, our relationship, our friendship with God has been restored by the death of his son, Romans five ten, And it says, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. Folks, the only way that we can be reconciled to God, the only way we can come to God, is through Jesus Christ. Does everybody get that today? And so you need to understand that not all roads lead to God. You've heard that all religions lead to God, and people, you know, they sit on their high horse and their philosophical uh, wisdom, <laughs> their 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 ivory tower, as it were, and they make these declarations. Because it sounds noble, doesn't it? It, it kind of makes sense. You think, well, everybody's searching for God, therefore all roads lead to God. But Jesus makes it clear, and the apostle Paul confirms this, that there is only one way to, to God, and it's through Jesus Christ. But, it's, but what does that mean? Well, we're talking about faith in Jesus Christ a trust in Christ, a trust in who he was and what he did. So the fact of the matter is, is that all humans need to be converted. Everybody gets that. We all need to be transformed. We all need to be made into new people. Now, some of you today have experienced that, and some of you still have not yet experienced that. And so the good news is you've come to the right place because I'm telling you how that's gonna happen. The rebellion in our hearts, it needs to be overturned. That rebellion needs epistropho, it needs to be overturned, so that now Christ is free to rule in our hearts. Does that make sense to everybody today? That's what we're talking about. Okay, so here's the first thing that happens. The first thing that happens is that the Lord calls the sinner. And if you're a Christian today, Every you experience this at some point in your life. The Lord called you. In the Ordo Salutis or the order of salvation, we call this the calling, where you and I are confronted by Christ. Now, the way that God does that is, is very interesting. For some of you, you were going through a, a time of suffering. Maybe you were ill like this blind man. Perhaps you were uh, going through a problem, a struggle. Perhaps you felt uh, maybe abandoned. Um, maybe you, were, you went through a financial crisis, maybe a family crisis, may, maybe a marital crisis. But the fact is something was happening. There's some great struggle going on. Perhaps for you, you had some kind of a twisted or perverted inclination. Something in your heart was inclined to that which you knew was evil. And you said, how, how am I going to make it? How am I going to survive? And that was the thing that caused you to cry out to Christ. For some of you, it may have been just an, an amazing event that took place, perhaps a sad event, perhaps a happy event. Maybe it was a loss of a loved one. Maybe your parent died or grandmother died. Or maybe it was indeed a happy event. Something wonderful happened. It was the birth of a child. and all of a sudden the lights go on and you think to yourself, wow, this is a miracle. There's gotta be a God. I gotta find out about this. I know many people, when the baby's born, they start coming to church. They wanna bring baby to church because they know there's gotta be something more. I still remember when Jesse was born. And I remember like it happened yesterday. I remember it with Jesse, with Nicholas and Sarah as well. But with, with Jesse, when he was born, I cried. And then I cried when Nicholas was born. And then I cried when Sarah was born. Why am I crying? <laughs> oh, no, not another kid. <laughs> <laughs> Why was I crying? Because I knew something miraculous has happened. I knew that God was there. That God had created this life. And sadly, Jesse and Amber are to leave us this morning. They're actually at the airport right now, and they say, sorry, couldn't be here, but we'll see you next time. So what do you have to say to that? Okay, I'll tell them. Okay, so here it is. This man is confronted by Christ. He's got a big problem. And the problem is, of course, that he's blind. The interesting thing is this, folks, is that when we're confronted by Christ, oftentimes we'll hear a gospel message. Something we're, we're looking for, we're looking for truth, and somebody then preaches the gospel, or it leads us to look for the gospel. But God is at work by His Spirit. We call this the grace of God at work. And that's what happened to me. I was eight years old, and uh, let me show you this picture. These. That's me right there. That's a cute kid, eh? Eight years old. This is my older brother Carrie. It's my sister Kathleen. That's my brother Josh. And these are my these are my cousins. That's Ross and Janice and Jillian. And they were going with their parents to Africa. My uncle Jack was called to be a missionary. And so he was going to Kenya. Now, this was the event that God used to call me. It was a happy event, and it was a sad event. It was sad because I was saying goodbye to my cousins. I was saying goodbye to my uncle and my aunt. But suddenly, I became very, very interested in missionaries. And why on earth would this whole family leave Canada and go to Africa. I needed to know more about this. And it was through this that God began to work in my heart. Now, every one of us here today has a story of the way that God reached out to us, the way that God called us. Perhaps God brought somebody into your life. You had never been thinking about religion or God or church or Christianity from one day or from one week or from one month to the next. But God brought somebody into your life. You saw that they were different. You saw them or heard them declaring Christ, and you thought, I want what that person has. Maybe some of you are like that today. You saw that that person's life was different. It, things seemed to go well for, that, for those people. Everything that they do, it just seems they seem to prosper. They're happy. They're joyful all the time. Well, that's, that's me as an eight-year-old boy. And so my, uh, my mother wisely sent me to the boys' program called Stockades. And I can still remember that that evening, it was a Monday night, and the assistant pastor was there and asked if anybody wanted to become a Christian. And I was eight years old, and I knew that my cousins were all Christians, and I knew that my uncle and my aunt were going to Africa to make Christians. So I thought, well, here's my chance. So anybody want to be a Christian, please stand. I jumped to my feet and he said, Would you say the sinner's prayer with me? I said a sinner's prayer. And I felt, well, that was, that was amazing. But here's the interesting thing, folks. I wasn't converted at that moment. At this point, it was just the call. God was calling me. He was beginning his work in my heart. I'm reading from John chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. And it begins like this. As Jesus was walking along he saw a man who'd been blind from birth. A rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Now, it's interesting that that's where their mind would go. If a person's blind, it must be because of sin. And Jesus answers, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Just stop right here before I read further. Just stop right here. Because this is one of the most powerful theological passages in the whole Bible. It helps us understand the way God works, and it under, helps us understand who God is. It's critical that you and I begin with God in all of our theological reflections. We need to begin with God. We don't begin with our own understanding. Jesus' disciples, they were beginning with their own understanding. And so if somebody's blind, that must be the hatred and the retribution of God. And Jesus says, you, do- you guys just don't get it. What's the matter with you? He says, no, 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 no. no. There's nothing to do with his sin or his parents' sin. God allowed this so that the power of God could be seen in him. And Jesus goes on to say this, we must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. And of course, Jesus here is talking about the importance of proclaiming the gospel. But then Jesus, but while I'm here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with a saliva and he spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go and wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means sent. And so the man went and washed, and he came back seeing. The calling of this man began when he came face to face with Christ. Something now is a process in place now. Some of you may be here this morning And some may be watching this morning on live stream and you feel, you sense that God's beginning to stir in your heart. I see it happening all the time. I see people who've come to church and I see now the spirit of God beginning to work in their hearts. I see the process and I don't say anything. I'm waiting for the Holy Spirit to do his work in his heart or her heart. It's really a thrilling thing to behold people. Maybe you're seeing it in your kids. You know, one of the things that changed my life was when I realized I don't have to be the Holy Spirit. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, when it comes to evangelism, evangelicals now since, well, since the time of Billy Graham, have, we, we think that we're salesmen, we're religious salesmen, we have to close the deal. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Don't let them get away until you get them to say a sinner's prayer. We close the deal. Folks, how many understand that Christianity and salvation is not transactional. It's transformational. It's a huge difference. So I don't press you, twist your arm. I don't get Pastor Chris up here on the piano to put on the organ settings to to affect your emotions so that you'll say, okay, I give. No, I'm letting the Holy Spirit do his work in your heart. The Holy Spirit is calling you. The Holy Spirit is working on you, not Alan Duncan. My job is to proclaim the truth, to proclaim the good news of who Jesus Christ is. And it's the Holy Spirit's job to close the deal. You understand this today. Because some of you say, well, how come we don't have altar calls? And how come Pastor Chris isn't playing the organ more to, to stir up our emotions? Because here's what Isaiah says. Here's what God says through Isaiah. He says to every one of us, come. Let us reason together. Let's engage the mind and not just the emotions. You hear what I'm saying today? God wants all of you, your mind, your heart, your whole being, and he wants you to put your faith and your trust in Christ as something that you understand makes sense. And so Jesus doesn't close. He could have closed the deal here, but he doesn't. It's Brilliant. So exciting. So it was this blindness that God used to bring him face to face with Christ. Now, we automatically think the worst, don't we, we want to begin, with, we want to begin with, with our understanding, but Jesus points us to God. How many understand today that God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him? So I stand before you today, and I declare that Jesus is here not to beat you down, but to lift you up and to show you that he loves you and to tell you that you can be saved if you put your faith in Christ. How thrilling would it be if on January 1st we had people right here and listening online who would put their faith in Jesus this very day and say, Lord, I believe. I can tell you this, you're here this morning, not by accident. Remember what I said the Holy Spirit does this? The Holy Spirit's at work. He's moving right now in this place. And he's moving in the hearts of those who are listening this morning. The Holy Spirit's at work, and you feel it. You sense, something's going on in my heart. I don't get it. But man, this is pretty amazing. So in this man's case, he used the man's blindness to save him. And God uses our struggles for his glory. You know, every single Christian, everyone who's truly converted is in fact a trophy of God's grace. Isn't that great? If you're converted today, you stand out as a trophy of the work of God in your life. This is why when I hear people say, this is what I did, I did this, I did that, I became a Christian, I got saved, and I I did this great thing for God, and I did that, I think, ooh, shut up, oh. (laughs) You did nothing. God did it all. You are a trophy of His grace, not of your great wit. This is what I did. I was so brilliant. I was so smart. I read the Bible, and I figured this out, and I decided to become a Christian, and I started doing great things for God, and I'm wonderful. Look how wonderful I am. No, 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 no. No, no. It's the grace of God that called you. It's the grace of God that opened your eyes to see the truth. It was the grace of God that enabled you to say, yes, Lord, I believe. It's the grace of God that enables you to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's not because you're so brilliant, but it's because he's so brilliant. Someone say amen to that. That's exactly what happens here. Now, some of you here today, you say, I don't know. God doesn't love me. He's allowing me to struggle. Here's what what Paul says in Romans 5, 3 to 4. He says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. Anybody here ever hear preaching like that? Rejoice in my trials? Rejoice in my problems? Yeah. Why? Because he says, "For for we know that these things help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. So you're going through a difficult time? Look, get your eyes off of your problem. Get your eyes off of your blindness, off of your struggle, off of your pain, off your suffering. Look to God and say, God, I'm listening. (laughs) What is it that you want to do here? And I can tell you the first thing he wants to do is he wants you to come to repentance. He wants you to come to salvation. He wants you to believe. He wants you to follow his son. And some of us here today, we have been struggling in our walk with God. And so God allows you to go through some difficulties, some problems and trials. I know some people, the minute they go through problems and trials, I got to run from God. I got to stay away from church. Hey, listen, if you've put your faith in God and you're going through a dark patch, that doesn't mean you're not saved now. Hello? I used to think I had to get saved all the time. I, I, I backslid, I, I did something I shouldn't do, I said something I shouldn't say, an attitude I shouldn't have had. That doesn't mean I'm not saved now. No, 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 no. It means now that because God loves me, he's gonna let me go some, through some of these problems and trials. Why? Because I'm being sanctified. I'm being transformed. God's doing a work in my life by his spirit. So you don't need to get born again, again. <laughs> How many times do you have to get born again, again? Again, and again, and again. Actually, every time I went to, to boys camp or, or to summer camp, I had to get saved again. Turns out you only are saved once. Once. And then God begins his work in our hearts and our lives, and he disciplines us, and and we learn. And as the writer of Hebrews says, no discipline is is easy at the time. It's not a comfortable thing. But, But the Bible says that because he loves you, he disciplines you. God only disciplines those that he loves. Going through a difficult time? Going through a time of discipline? Rejoice! God's working in you. He's transforming you by his spirit. Well, folks, that's what God's doing in the life of this blind man. So we rejoice in our struggles knowing that he who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it. Some would say hallelujah, and that's what God's doing. And then we read, and this is what Pastor Joel and Pastor Andrew and Pastor Chris are going to deal with. This blind man who's been healed is being hounded by the religious leaders. Why are they attacking this blind man that's been healed? I'll tell you why. It's not because they hate him. They hate, that's right. And by the way, if you're being attacked by friends or family because of your faith in Christ, they're not attacking you. You need to understand who they're really attacking. They're attacking Christ, who by his spirit is confronting them challenging them, convicting them of their sin. They feel guilty. How many have heard that? Your relatives or friends will say, you know, you're just, you just are always condemning me and judging me. You never said one judgmental word. You never condemned them. You never said one nasty word. But you, by the fact that the spirit of God lives in you, that fact alone condemns them. You didn't say anything. You didn't do anything. You're just being your nice Christian, holy, godly self. Smiling and joyful and kind and inviting them over for dinner. Oh, you! T- what's going on here? They feel they feel condemned. They they feel the weight of their own sin, and that's what's happening to this to this poor blind man. They're attacking him. They even went after his parents. Can you believe that? Oh my goodness! There's some good lines coming up, but I'll leave it for these guys. They go to the parents. I gotta. I don't know if it's you or Joel, who's lying. I'm stealing here, but I gotta say it. They go to the parents. So, was he really blind? What really happened here? The parents say, he's old enough, ask him yourself. So funny. If you're a Christian today, you put your faith in Christ, People are gonna judge you. They're gonna condemn you. They're gonna get angry at you. They're gonna criticize you. They're gonna come after you. But don't panic. Don't get upset. Don't worry. Don't freak out. Understand that they're attacking your Lord. They're attacking the one who dwells within you richly. And so, first of all, is the call to the sinner. And then what happens is that Jesus calls us to faith. So he calls you first. And now he calls you for, some would say maybe calls for a decision. Look what it says here. When Jesus heard what had happened to this poor guy being attacked constantly by the religious leaders, he found the man. And he said, do you believe in the son of man? And the man answered, well, who is he, sir? Remember, he's, he's blind, he's healed, he's healed. And he's not converted yet. Did you see that? Anybody see that? He's not even converted yet. Doesn't even really know who Jesus is. And Jesus, by his grace and by his love and by his mercy and kindness, he heals this man. It's the call first. The Spirit of God begins to work in this man's life. And Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of Man? I don't know who he is, sir. I want to believe in him. And then Jesus says, well, you've seen him. And he's speaking to you. And his answer is, yes, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus. And now the man is not just healed physically, he's healed spiritually. God calls us in so many ways, so a multitude of different ways. There's no one size fits all. God works in us all in different ways. But the outcome is the same, and that is a faith in Christ. Everyone at some point in their life is going to be confronted by that question. Do you believe? Do you believe in the Son of Man? And your answer may be, well, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You may have had that question, who is Jesus? I'll tell you, this title, the Son of Man, that's used 88 times in the New Testament, and it's in reference to Christ. In Colossians 2.9, we discover that in the Son of Man is the fullness of the deity that lives in bodily form. Jesus, 100% man, 100% God. Matthew 9.6, the Son of Man was able to forgive sins. Mark 2.28, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Luke 9.56 and 19, verse 10, the Son of Man comes to save lives. Mark nine. 9 the Son of Man rises from the dead. John 5.27, the Son of Man comes to execute judgment. And then we read at his trial before the high priest. Jesus says, I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One coming on the clouds of heaven. Matthew 26, verse 64. Folks, when Jesus said that at his trial, remember his trial? Remember he was arrested in the garden and he was taken and he was, he was brought before, the, before Pilate and Herod and the religious leaders? And he says this. He's, he makes this statement. You will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand Of the mighty one coming on the clouds of heaven. Well, this statement, when he said that, it immediately ended the trial. The court case was over, and the Lord with Jesus was accused of blasphemy and condemned to death. Why? Because the Jewish people knew who the Son of Man was. They knew when Jesus was referring to himself as the Son of Man, they knew that Jesus was saying, I am a fulfillment. Of the prophecy in Daniel chapter seven, Daniel Daniel chapter seven verses thirteen to fourteen. What is that prophecy? Well, it's the prophecy of the coming of the Messiah. And here's what here's what we read: As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient One and was led into his presence, and he was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language will obey him. And his, his rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Jesus is saying, I'm here. Even as you're about to kill me, I'm letting you know who I am. I am the promised Messiah. And people from every nation will worship. And I look out over the, over the congregation this morning, I see people from, from all kinds of different lands. Here we are, all having one thing in common, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ, hallelujah. He is our Lord, he is our king. And Jesus is saying that, I'm the Messiah. Well, they they were furious, and they condemned him to death. What's Daniel saying here? He's saying, I saw glory, I saw worship, I saw an everlasting kingdom given to the Messiah, and this Messiah is called the Son of Man. And Jesus applied this prophecy to himself. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. I told you at age eight, God began to work in my heart. And I said a sinner's prayer. But I wasn't converted. I wasn't changed. It wasn't until two years later. I can still remember where I was. I can still remember the smell of the place where I was. It was in the basement of the old Calvary Temple. And uh, it, it smelled like the B.O., of boys who had just finished playing floor hockey. I can still remember it. And I remember that there was somebody who spoke. I don't remember what they said. I don't even remember who spoke. I remember who spoke the first time. I didn't remember who spoke the second time. But here's what I do remember. I remember that I was confronted by Jesus Christ. And I remembered that I knew then and there that I was a sinner, 10 years years of age. I knew I was a sinner. I knew that if I died, I would go to hell. I knew that I needed to repent of my sin. I needed to confess my sin. I needed to ask God to forgive me. And I I remember the man who prayed with me, Fred Thurner. And I was crying. I couldn't control that. I was just crying. I knew as a sinner, I knew I needed Jesus. And he led me in prayer. And I asked Jesus to forgive me my sin and I asked him to come into my life. And I knew at that moment, my sins were washed away. I felt like I could fly. How many know what I'm talking about? I, I believed I could touch the sky. I believed that nothing could hold me back. I was free. And then I was truly changed i was truly transformed i knew my my god had forgiven me my sin and i knew i belonged to god forever i was just like this blind man i was called first and then i put my faith in christ like the blind man i believed and i worshiped jesus I put my faith in Christ. With little understanding that I had, I knew that Jesus was my Lord and that I had to follow him. What is worship, by the way? What does that mean? Well, it's, it, it, it means to ascribe worth to someone. It's to recognize the worth of someone. Man, I knew, I knew of Christ's worth because he clean, washed away my sin. How did he do it? Well, he died on the cross. He took my place he paid the price that my sin deserved. What an amazing savior we have. And that is what Jesus did for me. It means you're acknowledging him as your king. And if he's your king, what does that mean? It means you obey him. You do whatever he says. All in favor, say aye. Aye. All opposed. (laughs) Happy New Year. (laughs) What does it mean to worship Jesus? It means that I want to only follow him and obey him. That's what it means. Have you put your faith in Christ? Have you believed yet? If you're one of those people that puts your faith in Christ today, I hope you'll let me know and bring joy to my heart. And if you're listening online, I hope that that's what you'll do. Drop us a line. Let us know. The spirit of the living God is at work in this room right now. Have you believed? Uh, just saying a sinner's prayer doesn't do the job as, as, as I've shared with you. It's that moment where you are converted. You become a new person, literally transformed. Aren't you glad that God doesn't do a renovation job? I don't want to be renovated. <laughs> I've been involved in renovations my entire life. If there's anything I know is this, I hate renovations. I want a new house. <laughs> I want a new me. I don't want a renovated me. I want a brand new me. And the good news is that's exactly what happens when you become a Christian. God makes you a brand new man, a brand new woman. Let me just close with these words. So Jesus says in verses 39 to 41, then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think that they can see that they are, in fact, blind. If you're here today and you think, "Oh yeah, I don't need this religion, I don't need this Christianity," I remember my grandmother saying over and over again, "Oh, Christianity is just a crutch." Anybody ever heard that? How many know that we need to be healed and we are broken? I don't need a crutch, I need crutches. The good news is that I have it through Christ. And if you think that you can see, then you are truly blind. Now, this is so funny. I mean, John, as he writes John chapter nine, it's really one of the the most thrilling and also funniest chapters. Because it says that there's some Pharisees who were standing nearby as Jesus is talking to this blind man. And they and they said, "Hey, hey, 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 are you talking about us? Are you saying we're blind, idiots? They're eavesdropping as Jesus is talking to the blind man. Hey, hey, what are you saying about me? Are you saying I'm blind?" Jesus says, "This. If you were blind." You wouldn't be guilty. But you remain guilty because you claim you can see. All those who reject Christ are saying, I don't need Jesus. I can make it on my own. I'm just fine on my own. Thank you very much. Jesus said, if that's you, you're the one who's blind. And the Bible tells us clearly that the God of this world has blinded the eyes of those who are perishing. This is why we pray, God, take the blindness from their eyes so that they may see. Would you stand with me, please? Father, we rejoice today on this Sunday, January 1st, 2023. We rejoice, O God, that you're still in the business of saving souls. We thank you, O God, that you have shown us in John chapter nine, the process of bringing people to repentance. You give the call. And for some today, it's happened. The call has gone forth. They'll never forget this day. As they remember, this was the day that God began his work in the hearts of the people who are listening today. Father, we pray that each and every one of us would be very clear about what it is that we believe, that we'd be clear about our salvation. We put our faith in Christ and that we find ourselves rejoicing. We only need to be saved once. And then what happens is that our loving Father who saves us begins his work of sanctifying us, allowing us to be disciplined, allowing us to go through some difficulties and struggles so that we will come to full salvation, so that someday we will enter eternity and experience the glorification of these bodies. We rejoice today, O God, of what you're doing by your spirit. So Lord, have your way in Cross Church in 2023. May this be a year when many come to, to faith in Christ. May this be a year of record baptisms. May this be a year of record conversions. Oh God, do a work by your spirit, we pray, for Christ's sake. And everyone said it with me? Amen. Amen. Tell the person beside you, go tell someone about Jesus.